Welcome to Inclusion Unlocked, where we explore the changing equity, diversity and inclusion landscape, bringing you fresh perspectives, lived experiences, practical tips and next practice. I'm Sasha Scott and I'm the founder and CEO of The Inclusive Group. We're an equity, diversity and inclusion consultancy in the business of behaviour. Alongside our guest, we'll be exploring challenging topics and focusing on action, considering the practical steps each of us can take, whether we're leaders, HR practitioners or colleagues, to unlock inclusivity in our workplace. Today, it's a huge privilege to be joined by broadcaster, journalist and author Claire Baldy. Claire is one of Britain's leading and best-known broadcasters, a best-selling author and an ardent campaigner for the representation of women in sport. Alongside this, Claire's charity work is extensive, working with organisations close to her heart. Claire's work includes her role as patron of Riding for the Disabled, the British Paralympic Association and Diversity Role Models. We explore a range of issues, including the importance of ensuring that all young people have access to sport and that no one is left behind. We also discuss the importance of wellness and well-being, Claire's love of walking and golf, and the importance of taking time to decompress. Great. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you, everyone, for dialing into Inclusion Unlocked. Um, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Claire Balding to our episode today, really related to you know, how you see how you see the world and you know, what, what, what makes you thrive. So just to start off with, um, looking at your Twitter profile, we love the profile that says love sports, dogs, cats, walking and, of course, Alice. Um, I get a massive sense that you have such a drive about your work. Um, it seems to sort of really be so obvious in everything you do. I'd love to know a little bit more about actually what ignites you and how that might have changed over, you know, over, over the last few years. Um, I think it's really important to find something in life that you genuinely love, whether it's a hobby, a partner, um, or work. And if you're really lucky, you, you can find all of those things combined. Um, and I talk, I go to a lot of schools and I talk to kids about what makes them feel like electricity to, you know, quote mm. Billy Elliot, what is the thing that makes them feel as if they've been switched on? And for me, broadcasting and writing and trying to translate sport into bigger messaging and the unpredictability of sport as well, the pure enjoyment of that, those all are like a light switch for me. They, they activate my brain. They make me feel energetic. I, I travelled, I was yeah. up in um, Newcastle at the weekend for the opening match of the rugby league. And on the train on the way up, I was sitting with, you know, I was sitting at one of the tables of four and I had two guys with me and I had a woman across the aisle. We ended up talking the whole way there about sport, but about politics as well, because everything was happening that day, <laughs> as it is every day. Um, every day, yeah. It was, I love people. I love, I love understanding what drives them. And the two guys mm-hmm. worked in construction. Um and they were fascinating about that job and how they'd cope during um, COVID and what they did with furloughing their workforce. Um, they were really, really interesting. And I just, it, it's, I guess it's people and it's storytelling and it's live action mm-hmm. that can't be predicted. That's what drives me. And in, yeah. the, in my 20s and 30s, I think I was hugely consumed by needing to prove myself to my parents, to anyone who you, you know I felt had questioned my right to do this. Yeah. 
Now it's far more about what do I want to what do I want to do that that I find interesting and enjoyable, but also what is my long-term legacy? What am I doing for anybody else? What am I trying to achieve that is not about short-term work and you know being it's it's bigger than that so yeah it's, it's, so what I'm hearing there is it's more about purpose like when and I, I I get that I mean I'm a little I'm older than you Claire but I think that there is a sense that we start to really think about and when we're you know what purpose and what are we leaving behind it's a legacy isn't it yeah and I think particularly if you don't have children which Alice and I don't what are we doing for that generation? And okay, we've got nephews and a niece and we've got godchildren and lots of them between us. But wider than that, what what are we doing for those that are going to be living, still living in, in 50 years time, 60 years time? You know, what what's, you're yeah. right, purpose is, is the word and that's more appropriate actually than legacy because legacy sounds a bit, little bit worthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so okay so that's really interesting and I think you're incredibly lucky because I think lots of people probably don't do jobs they love my dad was a tv director and he always used to say to me Sasha it's not work if you love it and he loved what he did I love what I do because every day is different and I I, I understand that piece about un the unpredictability that's really fascinating I want to ask you, in a way, it's sort of you've alluded to it in terms of your nieces and nephews and godchildren and the world they're growing up in. You know, you and I and everybody read so much about burnout and resilience and the stresses that are on younger generations. I also know that you have a real passion for nature and animals and you know, listening to ramblings, that's so clear. In your opinion, how do you think the natural world and nature generally can help you know, younger generations around you know, resilience and, and burnout. Do you know, I was talking to my nephew Toby about this yesterday because we were playing golf together. And I said to him, because he has, you know, lots of kids have, I think, anxiety issues and and, yeah. and can, you know, they manifest themselves in various ways. And, and it wasn't really to give him specific advice, but I was just telling him about my experience. When I used to work away a lot and was traveling a lot more than I am now, I really suffered from homesickness. That's how I would have um, described it anyway. I sort of retreated a bit and I, I just really missed home. And I mm -hmm. realized that, a few things helped me. One was FaceTime being invented. That was massively helpful. Two was yeah. knowing that I, if I could get outside and be outside and walk for two hours every day, listening to podcasts that were sport relevant to the event, let's say Winter Olympics. So the Winter Olympics in Sochi, which were the warmest Winter Olympics ever staged, I went for a walk every morning down the coast of the um, Black Sea and yeah. listened to Five Live or list because I had a little Wi-Fi thing so I could connect, you know, to, to a Wi-Fi signal. Um, and that was, a, you know, hugely beneficial to me. And I think a lot of people will have realised this during lockdown, actually. The family mm. walks people had or the walks together, not with any purpose particularly. You don't have to be going somewhere. But the benefit to you, the way you feel, the conversations you have. I think if you're walking with people, and you'll know this, Sasha, having listened to ramblings, they start to reveal things, especially after an hour of walking. It's not a pressured conversation. You're both looking outwards. You're not looking directly at each other. You're sharing the same experience, the same space. You're noticing the colors of the leaves. You're noticing the temperature. You're noticing wildlife. 
it's yeah. it's a hugely simple way of almost a, keeping the balance of your body and brain correct mm-hmm. and for me yeah it's incredibly helpful and i understand that about myself and i make sure that i you know satisfy that need so that's a really really simple thing that just i know so we play alice and i play a lot of golf and that's a good way of doing it because you're outside for yeah. four hours and you're hitting a white ball towards a little hole and none of it matters, but it all feels like it matters a lot. You know, it's a, it, yes. and that is, you know, that's a great thing. The great thing about sport, it matters hugely when it's happening. It matters not at all in the grand scheme of things. Um, but that yeah. focus, I think concentration is quite an important key to happiness, but passive thinking time is important too. So when you're focused on something else, that is not mm-hmm. the big issue in your life. It allows yeah. your brain the, to go and solve that problem while it thinks it's doing this one. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sort of form of decompression almost, isn't it? Yeah. I think maybe one of the challenges is getting is getting younger people outside as well. I think there is there are a lot of challenges there around completely different lifestyle from the kind of lifestyle that or, or the way that you grew up, I grew up, we're outside the whole time. Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot harder, right? Yes, and also we didn't have the distraction of screens. I think like yeah. literally Nintendo was just coming along or Sony PlayStation was just coming along. And and you do find, you know, it's very easy to get addicted to that screen in your hands and, and, and it happens a lot mm-hmm. with kids. And I get it. If you're constantly you're having conversations with your friends, it, it it is it's just a different way of linking, but it quite often means you're not in the room. You're not yeah. in the room with the people who are in the room with you. And that's um you you know, I, I understand it and adults do it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just frustrating. And again, when you're playing sport, you can't have a screen in yeah. your hand. You can't. So that's another sort of yeah. additional benefit to it. Um I you know, going back to the point about purpose, and I don't know how one solves this other than by talking about it, but I it really concerns me the lack of access to sports facilities that most schools suffer from. And 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 I talked to Nigel Huddleston about this at the Commonwealth Games. And I keep having conversations with politicians in those sorts of roles to say to them, I'm not sure this is a problem you can solve. I'm not sure you should be solving it. I think it needs proper original thought. It needs connection with the local supermarkets because they have, they are there. They've got parking space. They've got money. They want to create loyalty in their customers. What would be the greatest incentive to any parent it would mm-hmm. be free leisure access or sports coaching for their kids and a way of a holistic yeah. way of looking at sports so that you include the kids who don't feel comfortable in the field of play but are brilliant at logistics or brilliant at nutritional um, uh, advice and, and contribution. Include everyone in the team because when we get into real life, the team is not just the players on the pitch. It's never just the players on the pitch. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that because also from a, you know, if I was running a supermarket, you can see that holistic approach around nutrition, around hydration, around, you know, we're all, no one ever uses those 
reward points that anyone gets anyway because you've we've all lost the bloody card yeah it'd be a much better no, way and and believe me you yeah, would shop it. committedly at that supermarket if it got you free yeah. david lloyd membership or whatever it was or started to build and so uh, yeah. near us on the way to the tube station there are about 12 pitches stroke courts that are quite small spaces you know they're not much you, you know they're like um half a tennis court size and they are okay. for paddle tennis, um, five-a-side, uh, they're for netball, they, you could play hockey on them, you could, they're really multi-purpose. Right. And that's quite Amazing. an effect. Yeah, it's brilliant. And they're full all the time, all day long, and adults use them as well as kids, but it's really, really good. And we've got a will to win tennis centre near us, and that's very, you know, it's not expensive. It costs a bit, but it's not expensive. Yeah. And they do sessions yeah. all the time. But it's, you know, the local community, uh, and and that, and this is why I'm talking supermarkets. And the other one is energy companies, obviously. And again, at the lunch the other day, I sat next to somebody who worked for BP, and I was talking to her about the contributions I felt they could make that would be really PR friendly for them. Amazing. About energizing yeah. the country. You know, yeah. you can do that by providing free fuel to leisure centres, who a lot of whom cannot at the moment afford to heat their pools. You know, they they yeah. need they need to be making a positive contribution to our society and to be seen to be mm-hmm. making it. But what better way of doing it, frankly, than go direct? You know, for for all the upheaval yeah. in the government, who knows what's how long it will take for any tax you pay to be mm. effectively seen anywhere. What you can do, which is immediate and direct, is say, right, those leisure centres yeah. will be getting, you know, next to zero cost for for their gas uh, and whatever heating method they use, gas and electricity. You you know, do something that's going to really benefit hundreds of people in thousands of locations. Or thousands of people yeah. in hundreds of locations. I don't. Or thousands in thousands. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's such a smart idea as well. Hundred. You know, completely get it. Completely get it. And and in a way, all of this then hopefully helps you know younger generations be able to manage you know you the stresses, the anxiety, the the pressures that they're yeah. clearly under. Yeah, and it and also, gets them outside and, and gives them a purpose. It also helps schools because mm. all the pressures being put on them and so many state schools I visit, the PE staff are tiny and all the other teachers, the geography teacher, the history teacher, they're all taking football, they're all taking rugby, they're they're working extra time, quite often at no extra pay. And they're brilliant. Yeah. But it isn't fair on them. And and I think the supermarkets, to me, it's a really different way of looking at things. But let's say they funded a professional coach and, and therefore there are football, you know, proper coaching for a variety of sports for boys and girls. From, from yeah. a, you, You'd also then integrate different schools together, which mm-hmm. I think is quite useful and helpful. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you, I can see there's a real kind of inclusion angle on this. Yes, there? there really, yes. really is. And and I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you about inclusion, because obviously you do work in so many different spheres. But when you think about inclusion, like, for example, this weekend, I watched Horsepower. Amazing. And what I loved about Horsepower was when you're looking at that yard, you've got a bunch of pretty diverse individuals from mm-hmm. amazing places around the world. And the stories are just incredible. So there's a high amount of diversity in 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 that play in in Andrew's yard, but there's a common purpose that creates inclusion. That's that's how I saw it. Mm. 
and I wanted to ask you about inclusion and what that means to you, because it's such a massive subject, but it's obviously what we do in terms of working with organisations. Mm. And I just like wanted wondered if you could reflect on it. It, it was interesting when, when obviously the Paralympics um, was staged in London and London 2012, the whole bid was a genuinely joint bid, which was the first time that had happened. And I think the first time as well, therefore, that the Paralympics was parallel to the Olympics, which is what it means and what it's meant to mean. But the mm-hmm. longer term benefits, a lot of them are about accessibility. It's about building yep. transport that is wheelchair accessible, but also for the visually impaired is, is easy to navigate because the toughest thing for anyone anyone and this can come with age or it can come when you're very young if you feel you can't get somewhere you won't try and go and that's a literal thing it's a literal thing as well as a metaphorical thing and that's the big limiter so how do you take away the barriers the hurdles the blocks Mm -hmm. in the road Mm -hmm. the stairs the doors that don't open how do you open doors for everyone how do you create the mythical level playing field um and i find that you know it's really interesting because it's also something that the establishment doesn't half kick off about they feel so threatened right when those that have traditionally been in the privileged position and been in the fast track by way of education or background or whatever it is, their reaction is so defensive to opening doors. And you just think, why? Yeah, It's so polarised, right? We've rewarded mediocrity for such a long time. Mm. Why wouldn't you want to Mm. actually look for original ideas? Why wouldn't you want to try and get different skills in here it's so bizarre but i think it's it's protection i think there's a fear totally yeah Yeah. it's fear and it's suddenly like you know don't have a go at me you know etc and yeah and hence the polarization that i think we're in now that would be so extreme none of us have ever seen it's quite so extreme but i think underneath it is real fear people feel vulnerable and you know ridiculous because enough but but I, what you say about inclusion and barriers and removing, removing them physically as well as the metaphorical barriers, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that um, you're creating an, a, an environment where people do go and they go and they know when I go there, I will belong rather than any kind of tokenism. And so I think a lot of inclusion starts with architecture and mindset, right? Yeah, 100%. And, then, and then you've got the really visible, powerful... Um, high profile examples like a Paralympic Games or indeed Strictly Come Dancing who have yeah, I think amazing. Amazing. taken yeah. a fascinating um, approach of saying right we will showcase diversity we're going to just show it and I had to when I started writing children's books my editor kept saying to me listen there's one rule here show don't tell and I was like what does that okay. mean what does that mean what does that mean and now I get yeah, what it. does that mean it means don't tell people what's happened in your story or what. Show them. Show them this okay. fear, this nervousness, this achievement. So when you look at Strictly Come Dancing, don't tell them about what you think the definition of disability or ability is. Show them. So whether you've got Ellie Simmons right. or whether you've got Rose last year, what, it, it's really interesting yep. to just go, right, we will challenge every, you know, held belief. Stereotype. 
yeah, yeah and absolutely. We'll and say, you yeah. think this can't work, we'll show you. We're not going to tell you how it works, we're going to show you how it works. And the same with the Paralympics, and I think it's really such a, such a great strength of the Paralympic movement that it has so many athletes that are great communicators yeah. that, that tell their own story very well, but basically show people how they live, what they do every day, what their training regime is, and then their performance on you know, mm. on the field of play. Um, and that is very powerful. I, I do a lot of work with them um, riding for the disabled. And I was at a dinner on Saturday night and the, and the little girl who, who'd won the main award, she yeah. spoke so strongly about the difference it's made to her and her, wow. her, her brother and sister were there and her parents were there. And her mum spoke about their own sort of fear of they, they're not horsey people at all. And when they first brought okay. her to a group, they sort of yeah. handed her over with real trepidation of, oh, I'm not sure we should be doing this. And the difference wow. it's made to her has been huge. And it's so positive. And just seeing her face light up when she talks about her two favourite ponies that she rides and what it's like for her being in the stables and how what she feels when when she's riding and it I I, I tried to you know show this in in the third book I wrote yeah. which is called the racehorse who learned to dance and it's about a, you know the ultimate aim being a, a girl who her dream it becomes going to the Paralympics to ride at the Paralympics on this horse. And I asked this girl, Orly, I said, which one, which one do you think is the best book? And she said, oh, yeah. The Racehorse Who Learned to Dance. And I said, why? And she said, because I see myself in it. Wow. And you go, okay, so visibility that. matters. Yeah, 100%. I love what you're saying there because it is really about feeling, isn't it? And I remember in Strictly, although, of course, there was noise around this, but actually when they turned the music off and that moment, people began to feel or see the world slightly differently. And it is all about here, isn't it? That's the stuff that changes things yeah. in our hearts. And, and yeah. that's, you know, in the job that I do, for the most part, you won't remember what I say, but you do remember how you felt. How it made you feel, so, yeah. so the event that you're covering, to me, I'm, I'm trying to make you feel as if you're there, but almost even better than being there because you get all the inside story as well. And also showcase the athletes. It's always about them. And it's about their stories and how do we make them, how do we make you care about them? That, that's the mm -hmm. essence of the challenge, I think. And it's easier to do when you've got more time and it's easier to do when you haven't got ad breaks. So um, and it's easier to do when you've got a budget that can allow you yeah. that good filming, good storytelling, you know. Um, I do Amazing. love it and I love writing as well and to have the space now in my diary, particularly through the winter, that I can write, you know, that that's that's given and, and that sense that you when you're writing something, you create a body of work that lasts a bit longer than television or radio, frankly. Yeah. And that you get a chance to edit and other people will read it and feedback comments before mm -hmm. you publish. So you've got a chance to make it better. It, with television and radio, you've got very little chance yeah. to correct yourself on the go or, or you sure. constantly go, I wish I'd said that better. And you haven't got the chance to. Um, whereas with writing, you can polish it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Fantastic. Okay, so Claire, I'm, I'm really mindful of time. I just got one last question. I mean, you, you shared really fabulous ideas and innovation and really exciting stuff. And 
and you're super busy, I can tell. You have a busy head, a busy brain. What do you do, like, in, in, just in, if you need to decompress or, or just, just switch off? Well, to take us back to the very beginning of the conversation, walking is absolutely essential to me. And if I'm walking with a golf club in my hand and a, and a white ball going not very far in front of me, <laughs> then, then that's fine. That's fine as well. And I love, I love chilling out with my nephews and my niece. I really do. I love playing games with them. I love, we don't have a dog at the moment, but, you know, I love walking the dogs um, at home, you know, down at my brother and sister-in-law as my parents and and when I had art when we had Archie you know just knowing that you can be out there and the wind is blowing in your face and that's what I'll go and do now I'll go down to the river I'll listen to a podcast on the way and and that's my fuel you know that's that's what keeps me and my brain then is allowed to be busy while I'm doing that um but yeah that that's the answer I'm I'm pretty I have a I have a lot of things spinning in my brain, but I don't anymore feel that tightness in my chest of anxiety. And I have had that in the past, but I, generally speaking, don't now. Um, and part of that is, I think, training myself to be much more present. I think I, I am much better at being in the room or being at the event I'm at, not worrying so much about what time do I need to be catching a train. It, it'll work out, you know, it'll all work out. Um, and even, and therefore even in traffic, which is obviously hugely frustrating and lots of people find this, even in traffic, you can achieve things. You can ring friends. You can, you know, listen to an amazing podcast or a program. You can find or give yourself thinking time or plan something that you hadn't, or have a com, you know, to have a conversation. Use that. Use that time. Okay, that's really good advice. Well, listen, Claire, thank you. Um, go and go and refuel down by the river. I'm <laughs> and I really, really appreciate your time and your generosity, and obviously um, your support of diversity role models. Wow, it was such an honour to speak to Claire. And in recognition of Claire's work with Diversity Role Models, Inclusive Group have donated the proceeds of this episode to support their crucial work to embed inclusion and empathy into the next generation. And thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of Inclusion Unlocked. Inclusive Group provides education and commercial solutions around wellness, culture and inclusion, helping you drive real change. We work extensively with organisations, HR functions and leadership teams to navigate the changing diversity landscape. If you'd like to hear more about our work or arrange a conversation, please click on the link on the landing page of this episode and follow it through to our website. We look forward to talking. <laughs>